0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Apram Kipalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Gonic Literature, Recovering Lost Gems, and I want to talk tonight about someone who, in his way, was sort of like um, considered one of the gaonim of the Rishonim. Uh, Not Rashi, uh, not the Rambam. But Rashi's grandson, Rabbeinu Tam, uh, and last week we saw that he uh, criticized the Gaonim for what they thought was very positive takanos that they were making. Um, if just to set the scene from last week, the Gaonim felt that the strictures imposed upon the recalcitrant wife were too extreme, and were not only robbing her completely of of any means of support afterwards, but would clearly lead them to uh, running around with non-Jews and, or even worse, bringing non-Jews into the fray and having uh, husbands giving gitan, uh that were not really kosher gitan, uh creating problems of mamzerus and, in general, rejecting what the Talmud said. What the Talmud said. Uh, on a statement, that we actually keep her for 12 months without any XUVA, uh, hoping that she's going to change, where she doesn't get mizonos, and it's a 12-month period of like almost in, in, a complete attrition period. Then Chazal say, after those 12 months, then we, if she hasn't given in, then we go ahead and go through the procedure of the get. The gonim eliminated that section of the Talmud. They said that that statement was incorrect and and here as we saw last week and uh Rabbeinatam tom reacted tom her i'm quoting of, of parish a the and Agita. we don't let her just sit there for 12 months without a get but since the marriage clearly she refuses to have relations even though it has cost her Dearly, we don't let her just stay 12 months without a get. Kofinoso, we force him to give the get and we disintegrate the marriage, says Rabbeinu Tam. By forcing this man to give a get, which is not in the Talmud, where the Talmud says wait for 12 months and allowing her to marry someone, she's still married. That get is not a kosher get. The Kaimelan Ravina ravashi, so In other words, ravina and Ravashi, whatever's in the Gemara. Yeah, it might be true that, that the, the change from one period in the Mishnah to a later period in the Mishnah. And it might be the Gemara sometimes undercuts the Mishnah. But we cannot legislate against them. Ravina and Ravashi are soi fairo. That's the end of halacha. And now, I agree the gaonim have gotten involved and changed our lives in some ways. One thing, for example, according to the Gemara, a woman's Ksuva can only be collected from property that the husband has, or perhaps the husband sold post the marriage, that she can chase, that she can say is, is, is hers. Now, the, the Gonim felt that as we moved away from an agrarian society, and many people were moving around and had most of their holdings in cash or in movable items, they were misnogging that a woman could collect riksuva from the movable items from the paintings in the man's house, from the lazy boy chairs, from the stereo equipment, and from whatever bank accounts we could find. That's not like the Gemara. The Gemara says she needs; she can only collect on land. So the Gaonim said, no, Suva can now be collected from other means. So he says, they could paskanet because Hainu Mimona that's in the world of money, they can make changes. get But if the rabbis, Ravina Ravashi, say, This is the procedure, don't give a get until a month, a year from now. We can't change things till Mashiach comes. We don't have a right to make changes in Isurim. We can change things of the way the better structure of a financial deal. And it might be some of the things in the Talmud are outmoded financially. Later, batay dinim, if they have the seriousness, have the right to make those changes. But to create a get that's not a get in the Torah, to fort, that's not from the Chachamim, I'm saying it's not in the Talmud, he says, That would be a get puzzle. Because there's something about what's in the Gemara that is sank or sank. We wait for 12 months. And they decided before the Gemara's time, we're going to force them to get now because we say the marriage isn't going to work get posel. Even if he's okay with it, in other words, he's saying, "Okay, I'll do it." You say I should do it; I should do it. So what's wrong? How can Rabbeinu Tan be against that? The husband agrees. I mean, he was maybe pushed around a little bit till he agreed, but he agreed because he had to be pushed for it. The Omer of Nachman, B'shilei Gid, Rav Nachman says. We do have get ha We do have get that we force the person to do it. We push him, we harangue him, we get a little bit physical with him, and he says, okay, I'll give it. Rabbi Nachman says, really, true, there's, we have to separate between the two types. Kedin kosher. If why we pushed him was because the law demands a get, and we let him know the law, and we got a little physical with him possibly, that's okay. But if, we, if it's not in the law books, we just think that it should be done. But the Talmud doesn't say that. And the Talmud says we have to wait another year. That's shalokadim. did <speaking> yud on <in> him. <Hebrew> that I think is important that we admit that there needs to be perhaps updates, but it's very limited the way those updates can work. And there is a elevation of Shas. Now, the Gaonim felt they were basically continuing what Ravina of Ashi were doing. And that the same way the Talmud and sometimes undercuts the din of the Mishnah, the Gaonim felt they were the continuation. The fact that it's been canonized in a specific text that's being studied throughout North Africa and Europe and other places doesn't mean that it is has it, it has these type of untouchable boundaries. And this, I think, is an important even if we don't talk about the Rebbe Tam at all. You see here an advocacy of an opinion. And now we can, we can understand the flip side. The Rambam and Rabbeinu Tam share the same attitude, that the Gemara is where everything stopped. Post the Talmud, as we saw last week from the Rambam, he says the Takkonos of the Gonim did not spread in Israel, they were argued against, Rabbi Tam is saying, I don't care if they spread in Eretz Yisrael. If they spread, but they were wrong. You cannot go against the Talmud. Uh, a level of respect that wasn't even afforded to his grandfather, Rashi. Um, the famous uh, one, of the, the author of the Baal, Sefer HaKabola that takes us through um, various uh, historical uh, iterations When he speaks about his own period, he speaks about the great Jacob, Yaakov of Romeru, which was a a smaller town in the vicinity of Troyes where Rabbeinu Tam lived. And he refers to him as the great, great Rav who was like a Malach. He doesn't even mention Rashi in the whole Sefer Kabbalah, which shows you that although for most people, Rashi is Rabban Shal Yisrael, for others, Rashi's grandson was the greatest of northern of that northern France region. Now, I, it should be stated that Rashi's and Rabbeinu Tam saw each other, but only when up until the time that Rebbeinu Tam was five years old. That's when Rashi died. I want to share with you something that I think is a very beautiful legend. And I think after the fact, you can understand why this legend was propagated. Shoma Rabbein Utam Kol Bechia Keshames Rashi. Five year old Yaakov, the youngest of the boys. There was a girl as well. Her son was the famous Yitzchok of Rampaport. Of, 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 of Dampierre, i'm sorry of, of, of Dampierre, that is the re okay um but there were four boys there was their father was mayor who was considered one of the Gedele israel at the time rashi's son-in-law rashi and his son-in-law both learned at, at, at one time at the same they weren't together necessarily but they had mutual rabees his daughter, Yocheved, married Meir. Meir had four sons and a daughter. The daughter gave birth to the famous re Hazoke, Yitzchok. The four boys, the oldest was probably Shmuel, known as the Rashbam. Then there was Yitzchok, known as this was Yaakov. Shmuel had the schools to learn with his grandfather. But Shmuel's father, Meir, was himself one of the G'dol Dor And in fact, studied in the same yeshiva together with his father-in-law, Shlomo, they were on the same bed. Obviously, Shlomo was much older, but his son-in-law, Mayer was considered one of the G'dol Dor as well. Yocheved, Obviously, was very proud of all her sons. Her youngest didn't have the tzchus to actually study that much or at all with the grandfather, like his older brother Shmuel, the Rashbam, did. However, when, as you can see on the board here, when Rashi died, when Rashi died, approximately 1096 He asked, "Why is everyone crying?" And his mother said, al Israel. the light of Israel has been extinguished, and that's how we're crying, not just the pain of grandfather dead, but the light that guided Israel has been extinguished. Omar he said, you know what? Maybe not today, but I'll come back and relight it that is what was the legend of Rabbeinu Tam, that he would relight it and light it in a way that would be magnificent. And the reason is, of course, is because he represented the most important evolution of the sheet of the Baleatosos. There were, though it started as critique of Rashi which led to a little bit of an expansion, it was clear that what was going on wasn't just let's correct grandfather and come up with a more solid interpretation, but rather to interconnect statements all over Shas, something that Rashi isn't that interested in doing. So it it wasn't really a Tosfos on Rashi as much as it became a Tosfos on the Gemara, almost its own piece of Talmud, a piece of Talmud that wasn't in the Talmud. Many times the starting point was the Rashi, but really what Rabbeinu Tam generated was a re-examination of this idea wherever it was found throughout Shas. Now, of course, his nephew, the re Rebbeinu Yitzchak Hazakein, okay, helped to complete, along with the Shants and others of the Baliatosvas. But it was all, but in many ways, they saw themselves indebted to the yeshiva of Ravyakov. Yaakov. Now, I want to share with you a little bit about him because he was unique in his time one thing that was clear about him was he was, did not take the position as the Rav of Ramaru, the Rav of Troyes, but he was a businessman. Uh, Rashi himself was involved in the wine business, as we know, but Rabbeinu Tam was really, a, in many ways, a, a person who was a linchpin of business, in his time. He was a moneylender. And he his Psakim are Psakim that um, at times are very positive for moneylenders. He allowed in Hilchas Ribis, he allowed um, the lending of monies to non-Jews through from non-Jews. Uh, he, he, but even though it was clear that the ultimate source might have been a Jew. In other words, the Jew technically gives the money to the non Jew, the non Jew gives the money to another Jew. Rabbeinu Tom worked out a way for the monies to be able to be used. Other, including Rashi, uh, felt that this was something that cannot be done. I want to, he, uh, saw himself as a defender, as you see here, of the Gemara, but he also felt that there might have been interpretations of the Talmud that were too strict and did not really comprehend what was going on. In Troy's, Rabbeinu Tam, uh, after he, and we'll talk about why he went back to Troy's, where he was raised, Rabbeinu Tam convened a group of Rabbanim together, that once a get has been issued in our bezdin, I'll make this larger for you to see, Shum bar Yisro Shum bar Yisro I'll get. Once a get is given by Kosher bezdin, we don't allow anyone to talk about how that get is not Kosher. He came up with another takana, which a number of people applauded. And you'll say, well, it's not in the Gemara, but it was something he felt was necessary. Let's say a woman married a man. The woman's father provided in this marriage a tremendous dowry, or even a mid-sized dowry. Let's say the woman died in childbirth or from some other illness. Although Minatora, the husband, inherits the whole dowry, that if it's within a year of the marriage that his wife dies, that the complete dowry should return back to the father-in-law with the husband's right to say that he perhaps in order to protect that the dowry, had to spend money that he can deduct from what he has to re- what he has to return back to the father-in-law. This was a takona that Rabbi Nutam and his bezdin issued and seems to have been accepted throughout northern France. He also decreed that a husband should not leave a wife and would be subject to sanctions, unless it was either one, to learn Torah in a certain place, or because they weren't making money. Sounds easy, sounds simple, but, it, but, in the, but the landscape where Rabbeinu Tan found himself, there were people who were abandoning their wives, and he was able, know, to use the fist of this takona to impress upon the populace the importance of the bayis, importance of the sanctity of the union. That the Rosh in fact, writes that even though by his time in Spain, the name that was supreme was the Rambam, he knows from his rabbis in Germany mayor of Rothenburg and others, that Rabbeinutam Tam and the Takanas that he instituted represented something greater in wisdom than the Rambam. As you can see here, Rabbeinu Tam, Ayur and the Ri, his nephew, were greater than the Rambam. Of course, the Rush writing this knew that he would be, you know, castigated, because Spain, like North Africa, And Yemen, by the time of the Rosh in the 14th century, had fallen under the sway of the Rambam and the Rif. And here he was, the Rosh, saying, you don't know how great Rabbeinu Tam was. Um, One of the things that Rabbeinu Tam felt when he was fighting against the standard perception and he lost this battle, but he felt that chametz, he said clearly that chametz should not be, especially on Pesach, should become bottled. And that even though others did not want to let Chometz to become bottled, and they felt that it was Osr b'mashu, by the smallest, smallest amount, he said no. <coughs> he said Chomet should be bottled the time of the Second Crusades, something happened that I think um, caused Rabbeinu Tam to perhaps even be more of an activist and a defender. The bands of zealots of Christians, um, wherever they came into the city and they came to Ramaru um, they found the Jews there. Um, on the second day of Shavuos, they came to Ramaru and they zeroed in specifically on Rabin Tam to kill him. They stole from him. They took everything they could find and they brought him out to the outskirts of the city. They took a Sefer Torah that he had in his house and they ripped it in front of him. They gave him five terrible poundings supposedly to represent what had happened to Jesus. And they were going to kill him as a sort of a vengeance for what the Jews did to Jesus. He was being dragged in the ground about to get his head cracked open. He wrote to his student, Ephraim of Regensburg. He says that I had come almost to the end of my life. What happened was there was someone on horseback that was riding by, someone who had a certain power in that area. And he cried out to him. It seems like he had been a business associate of Rebbeinu Tam the Rebbe Yaakov. And when that, when he huddled together with him, Rebbeinu Tam promised him some funds that he somehow he had hidden away. And that prince or duke, whoever he was, he said, "Stop beating him up." I know that you feel you're doing this for the vengeance of Jesus. I'll tell you what, I've spoken to him and uh, he, he says that he'll come with me and I he will, after a, a couple of days, convert completely to Christianity. If he doesn't, if he does not fulfill his words, I'll give him back to you and you can finish him off and kill him. And of course, he went off with this duke. And with that, Rabbeinu Utam was saved. And he writes about this, about this event. And it's clear that he felt that he needed to strengthen the bonds of the community. In other words, coming so close to death and seeing how difficult the life, life had been, how tenuous our existence is surrounded by the Christians, he became a, a even a greater champion. And this happened when he was around 50 in his mid-50s. He spent the rest of his life, the last 25 years of his life, back in Troyes, and it was there that he became less the businessman and, you know, the person involved with the government and much more concerned about making lasting changes in the Jewish community. Um, and he felt he had the right to be the sheriff and to criticize and to, in fact, threaten. In the city of Milan, there was someone known as Rav mishulam ben Nossam. He was considered one of the greatest of the French rabbanim of his time. Now, Reverend Shulam issued psokim that were based on a variant readings or changes he had made in the Talmud, which he considered mistaken. By the time of Rebbeinu Tam, there had become somewhat of a standard Talmudic text. Although the Talmudic texts were in many ways Still, of course, subject to which manuscript you had, there started to become, especially through uh, the work of Rashi and others, there had started to become a more standardized text of the Talmud. Mishulam Bernoson came up with a number of psalking that he based on what he considered clear mistakes in the in the text. This was something that rankled. Rabbeinu Tam, no end. Um, He felt that no matter what the Pesach was, if the Pesach was based on a a, um, marking out or expunging what had become the primal text, he felt that this was a slippery slope to changing Judaism to the way people want it to be. Um, now, Meshulam quoted other rabbis who had different texts. And he said, even though that's not the text that has become prevalent, it might be more correct. Yaakov wrote him, Rabbeinu Tam wrote him and said, Shamati Alecha kien chachofet's no slave ame oretz vahanoshim. I understand you're sucking. you've become popular. People are behind you. One of the things he said was that we're not gonna use two cups of wine by our weddings. We're not gonna make barah priyagofen twice like it seems from the Gemarraksuvas. We'll make barah priyagofen once. Rabbi Meshulam gave another heter. The heter was for women to be able to do their shampooing Friday afternoon and then go to the mikvah Saturday night without the shampooing. The shampooing, which was meant to clear up any knots in their hair and to remove a, a cleansing, besides the shampooing, to remove any sorts of, um, you know, huge uh, clumps of dirt, Today, of course, we find this very strange because of our uh, sense of hygiene, but not in those days. So Rav Meshulam came up with a heter that you could see (laughs) Rebbejotam felt made him popular with the women folk. (laughs) Here's the women could didn't have to worry so much when they went to the mikvah. So the amayorets who are cheap on wine are happy. So he says, I see what you're doing. You want to be konalei Amayorets v'hanoshen but I'll tell you something, Mishulam. No, Merlochah, I'll tell you, Mutav shatiya Misavik or Ragli You should be more worried about what the Chachamim of previous generations, of which I am, their representative, know to be true. Mishulam answered him and said, look, I think I'm right. I have teachers also. Ben-Toms said, look, you have your points. I'm willing to talk to you about that. But I'll tell you. I'll compromise. I'll travel halfway, you'll travel halfway, and we'll talk. And I think if we speak, he says, to you'll tell me what you think. But it will be like the gun, it'll be like the gunfight of the okay corral in a way. He says, let's see, we'll see who's more right. Mimenu We'll have a shootout. I'll come and talk to you. But I'll tell you what, When after we have that, and I know I'm going to be correct, then I'll send out a psaq to the people of your city that you'll accept it. But if you don't meet me and you don't agree to this personal meeting of the minds, then bisham you and all of the people who are paskaning Lakula will all be in a cheyram. And not only that, I will put a cheyram, not only on the people who are listening to you, I'll put a cheyram on the whole city. <laughs> well, when Rabbeinu Meshulam saw who he was dealing with, he wrote him back a letter. And he said, uh, he says, Anochi v'hanimas meishiv Rabbeinu Shulv, Rabbeinu Yaakov. He says, I'm, I I, I, I I am humbled. I am nothing. So he 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 was extremely tough as far as that goes. And we don't find again this type of this type of strength in Pesach. Um, now, when he was called for being a makel, that he was matir comics on Pesach because he says it could be Boto b'shishim on Pesach itself. He says, you heard that I was Matar Chometz B'Pesach? I'm going to quote the great Rabbi Hay, who we know, of course, we call him the Balashiltos, who also says like me. So even though there had become a Minag, including that of Rashi and others, I believe, to Asar Chometz Bamashu, he says, I'm not the one who's Matarit. The Shiltos also allowed it. And he says, there's an absurdity to saying Chometz is let's assume that we have a a great well from which we all get our water and a piece of wheat that had become uh, puffed up that we call Chometz falls into that water and it dissipates into the water so now the whole water supply of the town is going to be because there is that minute amount of Chometz in it If you're right, then we can't uh, exist during Pesach, and that can't be possible. He also, when it came to Agunos, was Mako, he said that um, even if, the Gemara seems to say that you have to have um, a clear amount of the face that was seen by the witnesses, but he felt that other parts of the body would also be sufficient, even though the general facial structure had been wiped out by the wound or by decrepancy of time. Rebbeinah was famous for writing in his chuvas, it's das chitzonius, It's, it's not Jewish. It represents a non-Jewish perspective. Veruach acheres. It's not inherently out of our tradition. La'agen bas Yisroel. To leave women in a situation where they're agunot and not being able to be remarried, we cannot have that situation happen. The attitude to let women. Be a gunot and to be stuck is itself an attitude that is that is a Jew. he's not really Jewish anymore because you know he's gone over to Christianity. So since he's a Christian but he's still alive, he's, the woman is still married. Ravina Tam said, "Look, he can still give a get even though he's a mummer, and even though he's become a Christian and he's he's a priest, he can still give a get." There were others that felt that the woman was stuck in that situation. Um, he was known to say that, um, and he told Rabbeinu Meshulam this, when Rabbeinu Meshulam you know, sort of decided to submit himself to Rabbeinu Tam's very tough stance. He says like this, um, I'll tell you how to be a rub, he told him. Um, If what you're trying to institute is something that the Cibor cannot really withstand, then of course, you cannot try to institute it. You need to have that type of wisdom. Now, this, of course, sounds very logical, but it wasn't always held forth to. Um, um, He also felt that what needed to be considered consistently is the financial cost of any takana that was instituted by Rabonin. He felt that a, a, a takana that will cause a serious change, like his, like, like that's why he stood so strongly uh, allowing what in his time, Bob, was one of the prime areas of, of Parnassa, which was and therefore of, of lending with interest. And if, if Posca would stop people many of them, the leaders of their community, from being able to lend money and interest, then that would cause a breakdown in the community. And he felt that this was important to understand exactly what Hilfus Ribus allowed and what it doesn't allow, and not to be machmer. The life of death, I think what he tried to do to restore himself from that was to be a champion for the Talmud, but at the same time, to be a champion completely for the allowing Jewish communities to live and Jewish women specifically to be able to have a, a life that was manageable, a life that was not, uh, and to not be machmer um, which he felt would lead to I'm not saying that he was a conservative rabbi. If anything, you can see from his statements before, uh, w- w- things that we can do, we can't do. But he, um, as I said, he was not just some sort of simple critic. And of course, that was a play on his name, Bob, uh, Rabbeinu Tam, Yaakov, is not simple. Uh, now, um, when they talk about Rabbeinu Tam's death, um, it, it happened uh, in Tammuz, the fifth day of Tammuz in 1871 is when Ravenatam died. I'm sorry, 1071, uh, um, 1171. That is Rabbeinu Tom's death, 1171. Um, they, it seemed like um, in the city of Belois, um, which was not far from Troyes, the Christians had again, um, generated their blood libel, that uh, they had brought phony evidence that a Christian man was killed in order to um, take his blood and make the matzahs for that year. Um, there was a kangaroo trial that was held in Blois. And what happened was um, 20... Um, I'm sorry, on the 20th of Sivan, Chav Sivan, uh, 40 men were put to death and 17 women. Uh, Those 57 people were put to death as this cabal of killers. And it was overseen not only by the court, but by the priests. Um, The Renu Tam. By the way, uh, of course, when he heard about it, Rice Kriya, and he decreed, and this was one of the last things he did before he died, he convened the rabbis, and they said that in northern France, in Tsarfas, the 20th of Sivan will be a day of timos. Lyom tzom ve'evel. And he even said, Hatsom Hazeh, It's even bigger than some Gedalia. But God is sending us a message: how we have to do tshuva. And even though this terror will pass, the twentieth of Sivan is known to be a yom of tyness in Ashkenaz, in Sarfas, in England. And this all came through with, of course, the you know, Rabbeinu Tam's pain and suffering and everyone else who heard about it. Rabbeinu Tam authored a number of halachic works. It is a tragedy that none of them have come down to us in their completed state. He wrote Halachos of Haradu Chalitza Yibu Mengitun. He also authored his own version of the Bahag, which he called Halachos, which were then called halachos gedolos of Ravenu Tam, just like we know the Bahag, the great halachic work. Ravenu Tam's work is quoted by others as halachos gedolos of Ravenu Tam. The work, however, that was he was known by was the book called Sefer Hayosher, which was a, which had two parts. The first part was various Talmudic passages that he felt needed clarification and had become, in a way, clouded by misunderstandings and people claiming different texts. The other part of the work was his collection of his collected responsum. Together they formed the Sefer Hayosha. Now, he writes in the Haktama, that one of the reasons why he's writing this is because he needs to set the record straight. This is before the printing press. And he begins his book by saying how important it is to keep these primal texts and, <coughs> and not change them. To at least put on the page here what I believe should be the proper texts that we should continue with, because there's there's, there's arisen uh, a tendency to discard them. Kiraisi shows some Mayim I see people doing the wrong thing. That people are um, are being my the least trumas alishko. In other words, these aren't what we know we pay people to go around and fix sifri torah, and we pay them with the holy money of the shkolem. There are people going around who are. Changing the text, going to schools where people are studying, and telling people that what the text in front of them are incorrect. They're doing this out of if not malice to show their power. Before I even wrote this book, three generations ago, the great Rabbeinu Gershom cursed anyone. Kommandimishavish Tamuda Hochi. And look what's happening, everyone's doing it. In fact, not only are they um, in terms of changing earlier commentators, but they're going and changing the words of the Marayim and the Tanoim. Now, they sometimes refer to my grandfather, Ravenu Shloma. It's true, he sometimes felt that the text that most people had in front of them was incorrect, but he never actually changed and told people to change the text they would use his notebook and see what the corrected words should be. Avo The actual manuscript copy that Rashi used, he did not erase. Now, it's true that manuscripts that were written after his time were changed. But that's after he died and they saw what Rashi thought was right, they did that. But I don't know if that was correct. What should be done, what should have been done, if you see something written down, so what you should do is write on the side what you think is correct. But the text that you study from cannot be eliminated. One reason is because you might not know enough. Divrei Torah, and this is all of Tam talking. Divrei Torah Sometimes things seem to be true in one place, but you can find their reality in another place. And you don't understand it, and therefore you think the text is wrong? It's that you don't know enough. And therefore, leave this alone. My brother, first of all, if if you look at what my grandfather did, often he would tried to, if he could, correct whatever the original text was. If he couldn't, he would say, "Look, uh, we, the text is probably incorrect." My brother, however, did that 20 times more than my grandfather. And not only that, unlike my grandfather who didn't touch the Talmud text he was working with, my brother actually was one of the like this like the group today that actually erased the books. Now, I, I give him benefit of the doubt. libo, I know that he did it out of the greatness of his mind. He was able to understand it. And he brings proofs from other books. But I'll tell you, um, I don't think he's right. Um, and the truth is, my brother did not have the benefit of seeing that many of those old texts were confirmed by something that even my grandfather didn't have, which was the commentary of Hananel. That Hananel's commentary, which was in many ways based on Gaonic material, was something my brother didn't have. And if he would have Hananel, Rabbeinu Tam felt that many times that Hananel's interpretation of the Talmud D- justified the old original texts and that was a reason why we should be very careful. Um, now what is what is unfortunately um, tragic about Rabbeinu Tham's work, for Ayosha, and this is his introduction that we're going to stop reading from now, but is that this work is Mishuvosh this work ended up being um, edited, added to, taken away from. And, and often the work, the way it was finally uh, preserved in manuscript and published in, 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 um, in 1811 for the first time was clearly, was clearly a, mis- a work that was mishuvash. It was a work that we could tell just from one line to the other, uh, whoever had put it together did not do it carefully. So what, it, it's, it's a great tragedy that the work that Rabbeinu Tam was known for by, by Rishonim, the Sefer Ayosha, the book of straightforwardness, the book of setting the record straight, is one of the most difficult books to really divine properly because there's so much of the material in there which seems to be at odds with Rabbeinu Tam's opinions, quoted by Tosos and other places, and even contradictory within itself. So it is—it is—it's an, an irony that the man who worked so hard for setting the record straight and keeping those original texts, the work that that said he has come down to us, that we have, that people have worked on for the last 200 years, trying to restore. Is a work that unfortunately is more is, is completely mishuvash. We can still extract per, parts of it as I started from the beginning of today's year. But again, I don't know if it's 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 you know poetic justice <laughs> that that the bonus is is sort of like handing down. I would I I wouldn't say that, but what I would say is is that is that You know, Rabbeinu Tam represents, I believe for us, a a, a type, a archetype of of incredible ambition, of knowledge of what the community needs, a a critic of Gaonim and Rishonim, but also in a way, uh, someone who I believe if we model ourselves, you know, on his on, on his approach, you know, I, I think we have to adapt a modesty, a modesty, but we don't know. Um, we, we have certain core principles that we know are true, but we also know there's certain things that we can't know yet, and we can't touch them. We can't subvert them, even if we think we're doing it for the right reason. Other baliatosis, was, Tam wrote poetry, he, not just piyutim, but he actually wrote poetry. Um, and, and some of it was, is, was, was in a way, uh, poetry that wasn't meant to be holy poetry. It was like love songs, uh, the same type of thing that was done in Spain. Um, Rabbeinu Tam conversed, he had a, 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 a literary association with Avram ben Ezra, and I'll share with you a little bit about um, what they wrote each other. Um, Tom started writing, basically, love poems and, and, and doing them in the Spanish style, <laughs> to which uh, Ebenezer wrote to him, um mi hevi witzarfati vibay shir. How could a Frenchman come to the house of song? The overzor. Zor you're a stranger here to this place. And the truth is, you want to say that you have a certain sweetness of style? He says, and even if the song of Yaakov would be as sweet as man, I have to be honest with you as a a poet who understands uh, Arabic poetry who understands how we can create true new Hebrew poetry. I will be the sun, and just like the mon melted, the hum shim shivin My son will heat up, and I'll melt whatever you're going to write. So Rabbeinu Tam wrote him back. And he said, teach me then. Avi <laughs> Ezri, in other words, Evan in other words, you. I'll let you be my father in this way. Um, the Ani <laughs> Eved I'll be like a servant to you. Again, this is based on the Posik, right? <laughs> and I will bend to you. I'll let you teach me. Show me the way. I want to be able to, to follow your lead and how to write beautiful poetry. To which Ebenezer responded. Someone who's from the greatest of, the, of our people. You're saying that you want to become my 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 student. If you're writing a letter el to someone who's who's insignificant. You like others have called you. You are an angel of God. Yeah, Rabbi you should bow down to Bilum. That's He says, that's what, that's what it's like. We know the other way occurs. The Malach tells Bilam what to do. True, I might have a talent that you don't have. But don't ever think that you are going to come to me as a student because you are much greater than I. It's, it's like the Malach bowing down to Bilam, And that's Eben And I think this is a way that we could